Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Motorsport Magazine, for the very best of motor racing. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. If you're listening live on the internet, this is the Motorsport Magazine podcast. Or maybe you've downloaded it onto some little tiny box with earphones, an MP3 or whatever it's called. Um, On today's show, we're going to look at what's going on currently in Grand Prix racing. And let's face it, there's plenty going on. And most of it has happened since we last spoke to you uh, at the beginning of September. But we're not going to go on forever about uh, the Grand Prix of Singapore in 2008. We're also going to look at uh, Fernando Alonso's move to Ferrari, Robert Kubica's possible move to Renault, Barrichello's possible move to um, Williams, and Fisichella's decision to leave Force India and go to Ferrari. Plus, of course, we cannot do today's show without talking about the Goodwood revival which for some of us is, is the, the event of the year. With me today are Nigel Roebuck, of course, our editor-in-chief, uh, Damien Smith, the esteemed editor of this fine publication, and uh, Ed Foster, who was not yet born when Jim Clark won his world championship, so he gives us a slightly different take on uh, motor racing as it is today. OK, Nigel, let's start um, with what the media calls Crashgate and what we call the 2008 Grand Prix of Singapore where Renault employed an interesting strategy to get Alonso the win in that race. What, what, what briefly is your take on the outfall of that? Well, the outfall, of course, has been, has been, uh, has been very serious. Um, it, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, apart from anything else, a motor racing scandal uh, which has, you know, broken surface. You know, some do, some don't. This one did, um, and obviously, you know, for the outside world, it's been it's been very shocking. I mean, we've had a lot of, we've had the Dean Richards thing recently, and and you know, I think people are sort of fairly inured these days to cheating in sport. But I think uh, on this particular occasion, it's it's shaking people up. Um, I'm probably very old-fashioned, and it seemed to me most people's anger was was uh, about the the, uh, the incredible danger involved in this. Um, and obviously, you know, in any situation with a Formula One car hitting a wall, there are possible consequences. But I think that part of it was somewhat overplayed. And I think, you know, compared with uh, you know with Senna's simply taking aim at Prost in 1990 at Suzuka at 150 miles an hour and hoofing him off the road for which he was not punished um, I think this is I think that aspect was rather overplayed on this occasion um, the only other thing I would say is that um, unfortunately when I was writing my last column for the magazine it was one of those unfortunate deadlines hmm. with just the wrong time um, 
And in fact, I amended the column to allow for the decision from Paris that Renault were not to be punished. Um, but what was not so apparent at the time was uh, we now know from Pat Simmons' statement, and I've known Pat Simmons a great many years, and he, he is a man I would, in normal circumstances, absolutely trust, yeah. is adamant that the idea was PK's. Um, so I think there's a certain irony, if, the, if that is the case, I think there's a certain irony that, uh, you know, that the, if he did think of it and he got away scot-free, um, that seems to me to be uh, somewhat curious. The other thing, actually, the timing fascinates me because um, the whole situation arose out of Alonso's problem in, in, Q, in Q2 that day. It was a faulty fuel hose which brought him to a stop out on the circuit. Um, and that was what caused the problem, obviously. Suddenly, Fernando had been quickest in two of the practice sessions, wasn't going to be well up on the grid. It was going to be well down, 15th, in fact. Um, and they really didn't have a lot of time between that happening and weights for the, for, the, for the race, fuel for the race, being um, the, the stewards being notified of that. There wasn't a lot of time involved. So that, that aspect of it interests me, actually. They, they obviously had remarkably little time to work with. And I, and, I, and I wonder just when whomever had the idea first came up with it and, and how much it was discussed. Not for very long, by the look of it. Sure. Um, Damien, I mean, you, you, you had the job of editing the magazine uh, containing a lot of, you know, a, fu- a very fast-moving story and, and one that had plenty of surprises in it. What, what, what's your overall feeling about the damage it may or may not have done to the sport? Well, Formula One's got a problem already from what's happened the last couple of years. There's been so many different controversies that um, the, the sport's been dragged through the mud, and this was just another another occasion when uh, uh, that, that's happened again. And um, I don't believe in the... All publicity is good publicity. I think this is uh, this is bad news for the sport um, because if you look at sports like cycling um, and maybe to a lesser extent rugby, but in recent times rugby, the, the sports have taken a, a real battering because of the allegations of cheating. Um, and now we've got Formula One in the you know in the same situation, particularly with someone like Pat Simmons. That's why I was really disappointed yeah, in him was I because think we he's, all were, we? yeah. he's yeah. A, such a good bloke and considered such a good bloke in the paddock and yeah. such a great engineer. You know, over the years mm. achieved so much mm-hmm. for him to stoop to this level. Who, whoever's idea it was, whether it was PKs or the teams, for him to say yes to it, I think is a real shame. Um, Briatore, I mean, we featured him in the, on the cover of the magazine slightly contra- controversially early in the year. Mm. Um, we always felt that he was uh, a good. Fit for Formula 1 because he came from a different angle mm. uh, he wasn't in love with the sport but he, he brought a common sense to the sport which was sometimes lacking um, um, but we always knew that he was no angel at the same time so maybe not completely surprised that he'd agreed to something like this, again disappointed that he would but um, but I've written my editorial this month that I'm the one that I'm really uh, think who's, who's come out of this worst actually is, is PK Senior because uh, you know he was a great driver in his day, yep. um, but even back then, Nigel always talks about the fact that he was a uh, you know 
not not the easiest character in the world to get on with for, for controversial character. Controversial, yes. Stirrer comes to mind. Hmm. Um, and he's you know he's clearly been behind the the stoking up of the story, going to Charlie Whiting and asking yeah. his advice about what should be done, um, and the fact that it's come to light as a as a cold act of revenge. You know, but it's damaged PK Junior's career and Nelson's uh, Nelson Junior's. Such as it was. Yes, I mean he'd done a pretty good job of himself, hadn't he? Let's face it. Mm. But um, Nelson Junior, I think, probably will get another drive at some point in Formula One because they've got family money, and as we know, money talks. So he'll probably end up at one of these new F1 teams. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but um, he'll be forever remembered for this. Mm-hmm. There's no getting around that at all. Yeah, um, Ed, has it put you off? The whole business has it put you off wanting to follow it, watch it? Um, what about your friends? I mean, what's the view really? No, I think it's, it's they're all very interested in it because you know Formula One isn't always sort of headline news, and so it kind of it brings an awareness to the sport. But you know, for people who say that, well, you know, we saw Max Mosley discussing. He said, you know, Formula One will will go on as always. We'll get over this, and you know, it hasn't damaged the sport at all. Well, ING, the main sponsors of Renault, pulled out a matter of days afterwards. So you know. I think that's proved that pretty wrong. Um, Formula One, I mean, every controversy that comes about, we're always asked, you know, oh, can we recover from this? And it always does, I mean, you know, in its own kind of way. Um, mainly because there's another controversy about two months later, so the previous one's forgotten. But, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's not good for the sport, but <clears throat> I don't think it's done as much damage as it could have done, well, or perhaps as it should have done, you know, something this, this grave. Hmm. I, I think... You know, it's a soap opera to an extent. The, you know, the sport and that these things happen, and we do move on. You know, the Lewis Hamilton lying affair in Australia has been quickly forgotten this year, mm. um, particularly in, in light of not this. by Ron Dennis, it hasn't. But I'm yeah. Sure, no, yeah. no, but but by the general public at large, I'd say. Um, but it's the um, damage it does over time. I think that it just eats away at the fabric of the sport. Yeah, and uh, our expectations of the people involved get lower and lower and I think um, it's it's just it's just a you know it's, it's just not what it was now because of uh, you know because of the problems we've had in the last few years particularly well I think one thing I'd add is the um, people are always on about the lack of consistency in this sport whether it's in the behaviour of the stewards in the course of something you know something happens in a race or to my mind on this occasion with the the, uh, the FIA um, the fact that McLaren two years ago were fined $100 million, uh, which even now is a sum of money that makes you real, um, and were removed from that year's world championship. Not very long afterwards, um, uh, Renault were found to be in possession of McLaren material um, and were not punished. Um, and obviously that's a sound policy because on that occasion Renault put their hands up and said yes, 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 we did it, we did it and they were let off um, and they've done exactly the same thing this time mm. so I think, I mean, I'm once <laughs> tempted to say this decision not to publish Renault is an extremely pragmatic decision because A, they didn't want the team to pull out of Formula 1 sure. and also, it's not only that Renault is an engine supplier McLaren wasn't so... Um, uh, you know, I think pragmatism certainly touches this uh, decision more than somewhat. We must move on because so much has been talked about this. But just, I would like to ask you, Nigel, um, why would PK Junior want to invent this plan? I can see why 
the other people might want to, but, but I cannot see why it would have served PK at that particular moment. Well, I think um, if you think when it, the point of the season it was, it was getting to the end of it, um, and PK had had a, let's call it, pretty disappointing yeah. first season in Formula One. Um, and, you know, everyone in the Renault team, not least Flavio, uh, was very disappointed. So I think he was on fairly thin ice uh, at the time. I mean, there were certainly people in the team who did not want him to remain mm. for a second season. Mm. And I think, uh, you know, Flavio certainly had his doubts. Because Flavio, this, this is this double-edged sword thing, of course, with Flavio being his manager as well. It's a sort of it's it, that causes its own particular nuances, um, but I think he was on on thin ice, um, and I think he was uh, from everything we know. Negotiations for him remaining with the team were at a fairly tenuous point, um, and he may have regarded it as whether he thought of it or whether he simply agreed to it. He may have thought of it as a as a way of sort of uh, vindicating himself and a way of justifying his continuing with the with the team. Okay, um, if you hear the editor coughing away in the background, it's because he's got a streaming cold um, and he's about to go and navigate on a rally, so the next podcast should be interesting <laughs> if he's here. Yeah. Um, Damien, we hear that Alonso will drive for Ferrari. I get, you know, I mean, okay, this, I guess this is no big surprise. Um, you can see why he'd want to and you could see why they'd want him. Um, but there's a school of thought that says that Alonso is a fairly destructive character within a team unless he gets his own way every day. How do you think it's going to work for him at Ferrari? I think it'll work very well. I think he'll be, um, he'll be world champion at some point for Ferrari in the next three years. And um, I think he'll flourish there. I don't think there'll be any problems at all. This whole thing about Alonso being a political character, I think it's... Uh, overplayed slightly the the McLaren situation in 2007 with Lewis um, was I think there's a story to be told there one day that um, <laughs> from from Alonso's side he's never really come out and, and told us from his point of view what happened he speaks to, uh, speaks to the Spanish media a lot but he never really spoke to the mm. the British press uh, doesn't have much of a relationship with the British press mm. but uh, so it was only really one side of the story we ever got um, and I, I think he had good reason to feel, you know, it, it wasn't working for him. And I'm not saying that's McLaren's fault. I don't think I don't think they managed him particularly well. But I just think that the timing, the circumstances were all wrong, and it just it was a, it was a marriage that didn't work. And um, it was good that he he went back to Renault at the end of the season. I think it was better for everyone. But I think as a driver, he's he's the best on the grid. As an overall package, and um, the fact you know the way he beat Schumacher fair and square in 2006 yeah. says a lot for for him, I think, um, because uh, you know after 05, okay, he won the title in 05 when Ferrari were, were not competitive, but in, in in 06 they were back. Schumacher was still very much on on form, and um, you know Alonso beat him, and that, that's always going to stand. And I think he's a he's a he's a great character. He's very difficult to get to know I think for, for most of us yeah. um, but he's good for Formula 1 and he's a he's a top driver 
For, for me, the prospect of Alonso in a Ferrari <coughs> racing with Hamilton and McLaren is a, a very exciting prospect. Ed, what's your... Are you looking forward to this, Alonso in a Ferrari? Oh, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> you know, we saw how exciting it was when Alonso was in the same machinery as Hamilton and, you know, two great drivers in the gang head-to-head. And, uh, you know, this, this season we haven't really had that that much because, you know, some cars have either been on song, others haven't been working so well, and it's kind of... Um, swung back and forwards a bit so you know it'd be good to have two you know, of the top drivers on the grid at it I mean you know, I know we're going to talk about this in a bit but having Raikkonen in the same car as Hamilton I think is going to be pretty interesting as well I, I doubt he's going to fluster Lewis as much as we'd hope he would just because of how well rooted um, Hamilton is at McLaren but I think that you know Raikkonen, Hamilton, McLaren's and Alonso and Massa in a, in a Ferrari would be an extremely exciting championship I think Actually, one no, thing no. I was going to ask Nigel actually was, um, in a way, it's surprising it's taken this long for Alonso to join Ferrari because if anyone was the natural heir to Schumacher, it's it's Fernando. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's certainly the not case. Kimi Raikkonen. That's the case. Um, in point of fact, I mean, I've I've heard suggestions um, which have come to light in the last few days that that Fernando had an opportunity to go to Ferrari very early. Uh, very early in his career. I mean, in, in point of fact, before he went to Renault and he turned it down and decided at the last minute, no, Renault would be a better mm. a better choice. Probably not least because Flavio was his manager from the start and he probably thought he would be able to progress at his own speed uh, better with, uh, with Renault, with Flavio running. And if you remember, he had a complete year as, as Renault's test driver mm. after his time with Minardi. He had a year when he mm. didn't compete in the championship at all. So uh, the suggestion is that Tot, having been turned down, then declared that Fernando Alonso would never drive for Ferrari as long as he was there. Ah, right, OK. So I think yeah. that may have had a part to play in that. And I think it's significant. You know, Fernando did this deal with Ferrari in the middle of 2008, not very long after Tot severed all his ties with Ferrari. Mm. Um, and it's it's been bubbling away ever since. It's, it was simply a matter of whether it was activated for 2010 or whether they were prepared to wait to the end of Kimi's contract. And in the end, they've they've concluded they weren't prepared to wait. Yeah. And in light of what it must cost, it must have cost them. I mean, they've they've, they've the chemistry. If he carries on next year, if he does, I mean, he can't make up his mind at the moment whether he's bored with it or not. Um, but the likelihood is he will go to McLaren, in which case you'd have to say financially he's looking in remarkable shape because Ferrari are paying him off yeah. uh, for next year and he's going to have whatever accommodation he can reach with Martin Whitmar. So, you know. Is, is he definitely going to McLaren? Is that sort of. Uh, the, the, the belief is that he is, yes. Perhaps um, he's going to buy the McLaren team. Well, perhaps he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah maybe so. But I think it would have been completely out of the question for Kimi ever to think of going back to McLaren if Ron Dennis was still there. I mean, they simply did not, God knows, get along. So I think the fact that Ron isn't involved anymore, you know, uh, does open up that possibility. Having, I also... Uh, I'm very fond of Martin Whitmarsh, but inevitably, you know, some of us will be reviving some of the remarks he made just after Kimi had left the last time. So uh, there, there, are, there are problems with, with Kimmy. If you're going to have Kimmy, you know, you're not going to have a, an entirely smooth ride. And I, I, I think that Ferrari, looking back on its three years, 
will be uh, overall hugely disappointing. Yeah. I mean, he was sensational in the first half, the second half of 2007 when he won the championship at the last gasp. Other than that, he's never, ever looked to me like the Raikkonen at his peak in the McLaren years. So whether that's gone or not, uh, uh, we don't know. While we're on musical chairs, let's talk about Barrichello going to Williams. I mean, um, this man is uh, Dorian Gray of of Grand Prix racing, isn't he? I mean, he seems to get younger and feistier as every year goes by. and He's fighting for the world championship, supposedly. Um, Damien, do you think time he retired or no? Um, I don't think... The fact that he's won two races, you can say it's time to retire. So it's, you know, why not race on? Uh, I know, you know Nigel has always had a high opinion of, of Rubens and I understand why. Personally, I'm less of a Rubens fan. Um, he's a very nice bloke. Um, he He's kind of a bit of a throwback in many ways as, as a character, and that's good. Um but he doesn't particularly excite me and he's he spent an awful long time um being number two at ferrari and accepting it really you know um so i've always had mixed feelings about him i know know you wouldn't you wouldn't agree nigel no i i I, some of that i would agree with um i think he was i mean ruben's argument was always at all those years of ferrari was that, well, you know, in those years, if you think back to, those were the years when Ferrari were winning everything. Um, and I think Rubens' belief at the time was that the second Ferrari was better than the first pretty well anything else. Hmm. So, and I think the other thing, you have to remember, when he was allowed to, I mean, there were occasions, quite a few, when he plain beat Michael Schumacher in equal cars. Hmm. Uh, now, if you compare that with when... Eddie Irvine was there, for instance. Um, you know, I always thought, you know, there weren't many people who beat Michael uh, in, the, in the same car. But, I mean, I think, I also think that it's pretty remarkable in his 17th season, he's winning Grand Prix, which has never, ever been done before. Um, however, uh, when you're saying, well, it's a good time to retire... I don't think it's time for him to retire in the sense that, I mean, look at him at Monza. I mean, he was sensational. Um, But it might still be a good time to retire because um, after this year, the likelihood is he'll probably never drive a winning car again. And so he's almost certainly not going to win the World Championship, but he has had, by any any, um, account, a great season. And I think... It's probably it might be a good a good time to end his career, uh, you know, nicely if you like. Yeah. Having said that, I, I you know I think he just loves it too much to to leave it. I think that's the big thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, Ed Fisichella went to Ferrari when it, when after he'd had his best race ever in a Force India. What was your reaction to all that? Well, I mean, for an Italian, I, you know, I spent a bit of time out there, and, and for an Italian driver to be offered a drive for Ferrari, especially in his situation, he's got, you know, he was, he might have got a race win with Force India, I, I doubt it, um, but uh, you know, to drive the last few races of your career in Ferrari, which is the national team, is is huge. I mean, you know, you, you wouldn't turn that down. 
Well, it, and he's at that stage in his career that it, it doesn't really matter. I, I don't think that he's not going to get a win for Force India. Um, but it was amazing. You know, in Italy, it's, um, they don't really care who's in the car as long as it's a Ferrari that wins. And it's, you know, that's very much the sort of view that, that I got when I was working out there. And, it's, um, and so to have that opinion and then to be offered you know, as, a, as a driver to, to step into that, I mean, you, know, you wouldn't say no, I don't think. No, and I, and I think, you know, um, it was quite funny. I mean, a member of the Force India team, whom I won't name, said to me after qualifying at Spa when, when Fissi was on pole, and I'd said sort of, Jesus, you know, what, what, what is going on? Uh, and uh, this guy just said, well, of course we're quick here. We haven't got any downforce. You know, we never sure. have any downforce. Sure. Um, and so they were super quick at Spa and at Monza, the car's a bullet in yeah. a straight line. Yeah. But again, you know, take it to Singapore and, and where were they? So I don't think Fisichella would have won a Grand Prix. No. I mean, had there not been a safety car at Spa, he would certainly have won at Spa, no question about it. Um, but I think I entirely agree with Ed. If you're Italian and at this point in your career you are offered a chance even to sit in a Ferrari... You take it, and he won't race again after this year. But his future is now set because he's Ferrari's test driver, stroke reserve driver, and it'll pay pretty nicely. And you know, it's a very nice way to to uh, to finish your career. For me, briefly, I'm I'm I totally understand why he did it. But you know, for me, it's a little sad watching him struggle with the car. I must say, um, not because I have any particular liking for Fisichella, but simply because it's either showing us just how difficult it is to get on top of Kerr's or, you know, he has not got the technical ability for whatever reason to, to get on top of it. And, yeah, to see him coming around sort of 14th, 15th is, is sad. Really. I, think, I think, in fairness, just a quick thing, had he been allowed even a day's testing... I think it might have made a great difference. That, that's something we should never forget about this season with regard to a whole lot of things. Yeah. And also that Ferrari isn't an easy car to drive. Yeah. We know that much as well. I mean, uh, just to step into it and expect to perform is, is, is a lot to ask. So, um, uh, you know, I think, I think he's had a good run at it, to be honest, as a, as a Grand Prix driver. And um, it's a nice way for him to finish a, a, a respectable career, if, if not a if yeah. not a spectacular right. career. Yeah. He's, he's doing better than Luca Badoer anyway. So absolutely, you know, he couldn't do much worse. No, 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 that's true. Right? <laughs> Actually, one thing that strikes me is: uh, just can you imagine how Alonso might have gone in the Force India at Spa and Monza? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can. Um, Ed, I know you're a fan of Robert Kubica and uh, perhaps he'll move to Renault. I mean, this is all spec. A lot of this is speculation, but hey, that's what we do sometimes. Um, wh- why are you why are you a fan of Kubica? Um, well, he's he doesn't fit the sort of racing driver mould. I mean, you know, for you know, a lot of people perceive that Formula One drivers are these sort of you know um, superstars things like that. He doesn't come across like that. I think he's. Um, you know, slightly more down to earth than some of them. Also, he's extremely quick. You know, when he's on it, you know, we saw it in 2007 um, mm. and 2008 as well. He was just, you know, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And this year, he's he's had a, you know, really not very good year at all. But then again, the car hasn't been up to it. Um, but I still don't think he's perhaps gone as well as he had uh, driving wise back in, in, you know, in the previous years. But 
I think him in a in a good car or a car that would you know be near the front of the grid would be very exciting. Um, and I, I, I mean personally, I, I'm, I don't know what everyone else thinks, but I, I think he's up there with the top sort of five drivers on the grid. Absolutely, no no question about that at all. And I remember uh, um, a couple of years ago, uh, a very senior member of the McLaren team um, had asked Lewis who he feared most, and he said Robert Kubica. So I think I've been disappointed with him this year, I have to say, because um, yeah. I still would have expected him to be significantly clear of Heidfeld. I know they've had a terrible car, uh, but I thought he was actually the, the, you know, the driver of the year in 08. Um, so I've been sort of slightly disappointed this year. But having said that, I think, you know, put him in a, in a, in a proper car and he'll be he'll, he's a match for anybody. Well, as we, as we are doing this podcast in the same week as the new Labour Party in Britain is holding its conference in Brighton, where I have to say the amount of hyperbole, hype and general jargon coming out is truly uh, breathtaking, we must... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Remember that for the final part of this podcast that we must uh, tell the truth and be frank in our opinions. And so, Nigel, I want to ask you, uh, in, in closing on Formula One, about uh, Bria Torre, because I know you've met him many times and, I, and you and I both share the view that perhaps he, you know, people like him were rather good for uh, modern Formula One. So what's your take on the fact that, you know, he is apparently never coming back? Well, I wouldn't, uh, I, w- I wouldn't bet a great deal of money on that for a start. Um, I'm, uh, you know, perhaps I'm in a minority, but I mean, uh, I, you know, how many years I've known Flav when he arrived? Twenty years ago, now, um, and I was always very struck by the fact. I remember having lunch once with Ken Tyrrell, and we quite early days for Flav, and uh, and we started talking about him. And Ken said, he said, well, I like him. I really like him. And he said, because there is no bullshit about Flavio at all. You know exactly what you've got. Um, and he said, there are so many people in, this, in the paddock who pretend to be racers. And he said, you know, and you know very well, they're in it for the LSD full stop. Uh, and he said, that's certainly true of Flavio, but he doesn't make any bones about it. <laughs> And he said, and also, he has an awareness of Formula One as a product. Yeah. Because he hasn't been born with it, grown up with it, 
It's not in his bones. He simply looks upon it as something he is selling, and he thinks what he's selling is not very good. And, and I think through all those years of you know, Schumacher winning every race and traction control and nobody ever passing anybody and all the rest of it, Flavio kept saying, our product is terrible. Why do people go, I don't know, I would not. <laughs> you know, and it was very difficult to argue with him. I mean, he was right. You know, you go to the airport every fortnight and before you get on the aeroplane, you know who's going to win when you get there. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's fairly soul-destroying. And, and, and he said, you know, because he's flogging sweaters in, in the States for Benison, he said, you know, if you sell the same dreary sweater every season, fairly soon people are going to stop buying it. And it always made common, it was always common sense to me. He was, he's a pretty brusque and pretty direct character, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's not everybody's cup of tea, is he? No, no, very. But I mean, uh, the one thing you could always say about Flair was, you know, he was absolutely and is absolutely not bland. No. <laughs> no. I, was a, I, I think it's a fair cop. He had to go. Yeah. And we don't argue with that. But I think he will be missed. How can you not miss someone like him? And, you know, and uh, as Nigel says, the fact that he he didn't pretend uh, meant a lot. You know, he didn't try to be something he wasn't. We all knew where where you know he, his heart wasn't in motor racing, but uh, he still brought a lot to the sport. I think, mm. and I used to love interviewing him because uh, you used to get this passage on your tape when you play it back it was just this sort of noise of there yeah and well I mean because <laughs> he, he just speaks Italian using English words doesn't yes. he yeah. <laughs> it was really hard to understand at times. yeah it suddenly, suddenly you'd get a word oh I know what that word is and you'd suddenly get well, back I think the thread very, of what you're saying very few people would say to the press the day after what happened happened I feel wonderful life is fantastic mm. no 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 that's no, true I think I think another point worth making about Flab is um I've often, you know, talked to Renault people, and, they, and as far as they were concerned, he was a wonderful employer. He was, you know, if you screwed up, you know, you weren't going to survive long, but if you did your job properly, he was extremely loyal, uh, and they, they liked him. They liked, they liked working for him. And they, if you look at it, look back over the years, there wasn't much turnover. No, no. Renault. Not many people left. And he worked hard as well. He wasn't just a playboy. He no. really, he really grafted. Absolutely. You know, and um, that's you know, to be commended, really. I think maybe we should close our our particular contribution on this subject just by saying, you know, it's been a very unfortunate incident all round, has it not? As for everybody concerned and for the sport. Um, moving on, we've got uh, we've got three more Grand Prix to come this year. And it looks very much as though Jensen Button will be the world champion, um, a British world champion two years running. Can't really see how he can lose it. Um, so maybe just I could ask all of you whether you think he's the right man in the sense that, yes, he won all those races at the start of the season, but since he's been, I don't know, could we say disappointing? Ed, what's your... Well, actually, I'm going to rob some of Dam- uh, Damien's words that um, he was saying this morning. That uh, you know, he is—he's—he is a very, very good driver, but he's um, you know, and, and in some conditions, the best on the grid. But he was very much in the right place at the right time at the start of the season, and uh, the Braun car, the Braun team, was the place to be. So, yes, he, he 100% delivered. You know, I mean, he—we described him as, as driving a bit like you know Schumacher used to, and when. Um, <clears throat> 
Ross Braun came over the radio and said, right, right Jensen, we, we need quick laps now. You know, everyone's pissing this kind of thing. He delivered them, and like, like clockwork. So, you know, from that front, absolutely brilliant. But, you know, the sort of dip in form he's had in the middle part of the season. I mean, I think every driver goes through it um, if you're in his position, but it's been particularly bad with him. Um, and he's been, in my view, let off the hook a lot. I mean, you know, Vessel and Weber could be right up on the same kind of points as him if, if they had you know, had a bit more luck or had had a bit more success. Um, same as Barrichello. So I think he will be a worthy champion because of, of the way he delivered those wins. And let's, let's hope he gets another one. But, you know, it hasn't been as hard fought for him as, as it has been in other seasons. No, I, I think... Um I mean, look, I remember 12 months ago, you know, when Honda um, produced the last of their disastrous Grand Prix cars. Um, and it was the end of a succession of, of disastrous cars. Yeah. Um, but I think it was, it was significant, um, there's no question, in that year, in 08, um, you know, Rubens did a significantly better job than than Jensen, mm. um, and certainly, you know, um, I think you know it's fair to say members of the team reckoned that when they were up against it, um, and it was motivation was extremely difficult to find, that they probably got more from Barrichello than they did from uh, from Button. Mm. But I think, uh, as far as this year is concerned, yeah, I mean, the first first half of the year, I mean, he literally looked unstoppable. Um, the car was, you know, significantly better than anything else to start start with. But he, you know, he drove it beautifully. He he and he and he had a a confidence. It was a sort of air of yeah. which drivers sometimes get when you know so you show up expecting to win. Um, but again, you know, when Braun did begin to begin to come under a little bit of pressure, as other people got their diffusers sorted out and so on. Um, you know, you would have to say, in the last six, seven races, again, Rubens has, you know, has has done a better job in adversity, in some adversity. Yeah. Um, so, I think, as Ed says, if, you know, assuming he wins the championship, and I can't honestly see how he can lose it, no. it it'll be it'll be a, it'll be a fair result, but it's uh, it'll be. A shame in a sense that unless he does win another race, and I hope he does, when he clinches the championship, it's going to be quite hard to remember when he yes. last got the check, took the chequered flag. So from that point of view, you know, that'll be a, that'll be a, a shame. Yeah, I remember in '07, Honda gave him a bad car, and I remember his dad telling me that you know from the first test, racing drivers know in the first half a lap if the car's working or not and he got out of the car after that first test and he was really down um, and yet that season he won a lot of credit for the effort he put in uh, and the drives he put in that season he lost some of that credit in 08 because Rubens did do a better job than him in, a, in another bad Honda um, but I think the difference between Rubens and Jensen is very small but the, the, the fact is that when the car is right and is competitive I think Jensen gets more from it than Rubens does and that's why I think he'll make a better world champion and is the right man to win the world championship um, I think his performances at the start of the year when everything is working within that small window of performance that he, he can work in he's, he's excellent and um, it's, it's been very 
uh, I, I'm, I watched him as a young man coming up through the ranks, so I kind of I'm, maybe I'm slightly biased there, mm. but it's kind of nice to see the potential that I, we always thought he had finally being proven. And um, no one likes to see a champion back into a championship the way that he is at the moment. Mm. And I hope that you know he'll put in a performance in the last three races that's really worthy of a world champion, just to. You know, to, to, so there's no doubts about the right man winning it, and I think actually in Suzuka, I think he'll do that. I think he'll put in a great performance there. I think the car will be good at Suzuka. Um, it's a circuit that'll suit Jensen's very smooth style, and I think he'll put. You know, as long as he gets a good qualifying performance in, which is what he needs to do, and he hasn't done for a few races now, I think he'll. You know, he's got a chance of uh, winning that race, and whatever happens to Rubens, you know, I, I hope he doesn't win the world championship in, in Suzuka. We'd like to see it go on a bit further, but um, you know, I think he's. Um, yeah, we just need that one performance from him, and it could yeah. come at Suzuka. I think, um, apart from anything else, I mean, if, we, if, we're, if anybody is suggesting, you know, maybe Jensen wouldn't be a worthy world champion, um, I think really all one can say is, well, in, in 2009 then, who would have been? Yeah. Because, you know, I, I've been staggered that nobody has made a concerted effort to take it away from him. Nobody has strung together a, 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 you know, uh, a list of results, victories, whatever, to threaten him. And when I, I must confess, you know, up to including Turkey, Jensen looked to have everybody covered, you know, full stop. I mean, Turkey, you know, he ran away. But when Vettel won at uh, Silverstone, and then when Weber won at, uh, at the Nürburgring, I really thought then I saw the beginnings of a, you know, boy, the Red Bulls are really going to, they're going to be up with him quicker than he imagines. And, you know, and it hasn't happened. Red Bull have had a very good year, a better year than by far than they've ever had before. But still, if you look at how easily they dominated at, at Silverstone, um, I, I, you know, I was expecting a lot more of that in the second mm. half of the season. So, it's been a funny season for that, hasn't it? I mean, I was trying to think historically mm. seasons that compared to this. I mean, you think back 1982. You know, I think only one driver won two races. The world champion only won one race that year in Kiki Rosberg, and and it was you know all the wins were shared out amongst a lot of people, and there wasn't really. I mean, Prost was the best driver, I think. Yep. After obviously after yep. after uh, Villeneuve had, yep. had died, but mm-hmm. um, it was a it was a it was a strange season where no one really put their mark on the on the on, on the season. Yeah, it's true. Um, and it, there's some similarities to that in this in this season, apart from the fact that Jensen obviously had that string at the start of the season. But from the second half of the season, you know, um, it, it's been anyone's, hasn't it? Really? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's fascinating to consider how different the season might have been had we had we still had you know testing as we had it in previous years. Because hmm. um, there, there was a sort of all right, everybody got new diffusers once the controversy was settled early in the year. But there was a certain degree of um, what you started the year with is what you've been stuck with. All right, you can try things, but you're trying them in a practice session at a Grand Prix. You're not trying them at Silverstone or Except in the case of McLaren. Well, I was about to say, Rob, that's a good point. Yeah. 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 McLaren, I think, is one of the stories of the season. Yeah. To come from where they they came from with no testing. Mm. I think it's remarkable. Yeah, you know, fantastic. And, and Lewis's performance in Singapore, you know, yeah. he couldn't have dreamed of doing that at the start of the year. No, no. I mean, I'm bound to say, uh, if if there are any of enthusiasts of Kurs still out there, apart from M. Mosley, um, I really think the last few races should have killed that once and for all because um, we, you know, look at look at Raikkonen and Fisichella at Spa. Mm. 
you know, the quickest car did not win that day because of the two places when it would have it would have been able to take a real run at Kimi, uh, he was blown away by extra eighty horsepower, and I thought, you know, that's subtle. It wasn't. So I'm I'm delighted that they apparently in Singapore did agree finally to uh, you know to to do, do away with it. Um, I think you know Spa could have been a sensational race if yeah. uh, if if Kimi hadn't blown past Giancarlo up the hill on the on the restart after the safety car. I have to say it's um, I'm not a fan of Kerr's either, but watching someone like Lewis Hamilton make up places at the beginning of a Grand Prix with Kerr's is quite fun to watch and it, adds, it certainly makes the start a little bit more exciting if they've got you know, some cars that are quicker than others but I mean it's, uh, if someone's on the move with, with cars then it's very exciting but if they're defending then it's the, one of the dullest things you can watch yeah. you know, and that was the case at, at Spa so yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad that it's, it's not coming back but um, you know, there, there were a few occasions this season where you thought wow this is actually quite, quite good watching I think the extraordinary thing about it is um uh, somebody at Ferrari after the race at Spa, somebody at Ferrari, I, I, I said to them, "Well, you know, well, you you won a race, a race, a victory, last in in '09," and um, and he said, "Yes, and it's cost us forty million." <laughs> so when you think you're paying that sort of money get, to get an extra eighty horsepower for six seconds a lap, and you think they are nowhere near the power they all had every day three or four years ago you sort of think well um, is there any common sense involved in this business as you rightly pointed out Nigel only Mr M Mosley is a fan of Kurz so if you're a fan of Kurz out there don't bother writing us a postcard because uh, we've all we've all we've all decided it's actually one, uh, one thing yeah. I would say for it is uh, it proves once again how Formula 1 breeds technology because at the start of Kurz the race people were learning from the road car people and that switched around over the course of this season because Formula One technology, as usual, has progressed at such a rate that um, you know it has it has moved on that that uh, you know, energy recovery systems um, that will feed back into road cars. So it doesn't do much to the racing, I agree, but it does it does highlight once again that you know Formula One should be a place to you know experiment with I, I new think, technology yeah i mean i think surely one of the points here is is, is if it, if every car had curs that would be a different matter but if some cars haven't and some cars have it, it makes a mockery of certain races like spa does mm, it not mm. Let, let's move away as far as we can from curs and talk a bit about the goodwood revival which took place in the period between when we last came on the air as it were and and today no um, curs there, were there, Rob? I don't think. No curs <laughs> systems. Goodwood. I didn't see any so. curs systems. Didn't notice any. No, I didn't notice any. Yeah, I don't think anybody no. crashed deliberately either, did they? As far no, as because as well as Sterling Moss said uh, over the course of the weekend, if we'd done that in our day, we'd be dead. And he, he was right, of course. Um, he also said, Sterling Moss. I've never seen him so animated on a subject. I must say, as he was about uh, the the aforementioned um, Singapore events. Um, he was very, very cross about it uh, and thought it was you know, the worst thing by far he'd ever seen. But we were all at the revival, partly because Motorsport magazine was one of the sponsors and we, we had a, a big stand there and uh, we were quite heavily involved in, in what was going on. And it, um, Nigel, I used to uh, see you at the Goodwood Revival bef- when you were on uh, 
Autosport magazine and quite a few of your colleagues who never come out of the woodwork other than, you know, a Grand Prix. I mean, I saw Alan Henry at the Revival, I saw Simon Aaron, I saw a lot of people who one normally wouldn't expect to see at a race meeting. What, what, what's the magic? Well, um, what does one say? <laughs> I think I think it inevitable, apart from anything else, I must say this, to start with, given that we've had two years with Gordon Brown as Prime Minister, it was inevitable that nostalgia was going to be popular like never before. Well, here, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I oh, think and uh, by the way, on that very point, Lord Mandelson was at the Goodwood Revival. I, I know that. I know that. The readers don't like politics. No, I don't know they, that. Yeah. And um, courting controversy here. Uh, <laughs> and I, I gather, uh, Rowan Atkinson said to him, "Ah, Prime Minister." He did, and Mr. Mandelson said, uh, "Not yet." Correct. (laughs) So that's something else to keep us awake. Well, the uh, the editor the Um, editor is telling us that our readers do not enjoy politics. Well, sorry, I rudely interrupted. He's he's absolutely right. I rudely interrupted you, Nigel. He's absolutely right. I I think it's it's. I mean, I have always gone to the two Goodwoods, and I you know, and I always would. Um, And I think a lot of it's to do with whether you uh, grew up with motor racing as I did because I was, I was very fortunate my parents, particularly my, my father was always a fan and I, that was when I started going to races when I was a real little kid with him so that's there in my own history yeah. um, and I, I think um, you know some of my colleagues always always go and some don't I think to a degree there uh, at this time of the year there's an element of with some of them and I can understand it completely well god give me a weekend off yeah. you know after the, from the Grand Prix um, but the people who go um, tend to be people who have a deep interest in the in the sports history um, and and if you have you know there isn't anywhere else on earth like it I mean I you know when I was just out of school I, w- I went to the um, the uh, tourist trophy when Phil Hill and Dan Gurney were driving the uh, the Cobra the Daytona Cobra Coupes um, and you know and I still remember that and then years and years on I don't know what 40 years on to see Phil yeah. in the same car at the, in the same place you know it's, it's quite something um, so I think there's an element of, uh, you know, uh, you go back there and you sort of, you can't help but think it was of a more innocent time, mm. you know, in sport, certainly. Um, and I don't know, it's, I, I, you can call it pure escapism, and I suppose in a sense no, it absolutely. is. absolutely, I believe but it that's, is. But that's, I think, you know, I understand why people want that now. Anything that makes you forget Lehman Brothers, I mean, it's going to, even if it's only for a day or two. Right. Um, Ed, I mean, I, I'm constantly referring to you as the, uh, a younger person, which that is, this is a fact. Um, wh- why do you love um, the event, bearing in mind that, you know, Nigel says it's all about sort of rekindling wonderful memories? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, I have to say, you know, when I was much younger, uh, my father as well was, you know, mad keen on motorsport. In general, and but I, you know, living in Scotland, I didn't really get a chance to go to lots of the races. So for me, it wasn't so much as you know, it's not so much going back in time and things, but it's um, <clears throat> it's just a spectacle, isn't it? The whole weekend 
is you know everywhere you turn it's not just the cars on track there's always something going on that's you know maybe it's the sort of the my slightly younger brain it has such a short attention span and it's uh, <laughs> lots more going on but uh, no but I think it's great like that and also you know that has some of the most important cars in the world driving their doors off you know around this track and you don't see that you know you go to America and it's, it's that racing just isn't that hard and in other places in the UK you don't get such interesting cars or you know such interesting drivers so from that's point of view it's it's the it's the historic racing meeting for me you know in the world yeah i think you know one of the things one of the reasons why bobby rahal so often comes to goodwood is that that's the point exactly the point that ed's just made that bobby says boy you know historic racing but they race um whereas <coughs> people do say that similar events in america they are more concerned about oh god i don't want to dent it or we don't you know don't want to risk anything uh and but the element of the fact that people really get after it a good one is what appeals to uh, to bobby um, we're watching barry williams and uh, darren turner in the mini race it was just <laughs> absolute delight you know i mean just going to hell for leather and um you know i spoke to darren turner before the race and i said you know you're going to try and keep out of um you know contact things like that and he, he did say that he'd uh Spoken to the owner who told him about the insurance policy in the excess. So, you know, he was he was he was racing very safely, but very very hard, and that's that's what the crowd come to see. And yeah, for me, um, as a child of the seventies, it's the closest I'll ever get to experiencing racing in the fifties and sixties, which I wish I could have done. Mm. You know, um, as Nigel and Ed both said, you know, my, my my father too was a a racing fan and would uh, attend Goodwood as a schoolboy on his own, getting the bus down there on Easter Monday and um, you know so Goodwood was something that I was always very aware of as a child because you, you heard about it you read about it uh, you saw the pictures and then suddenly it was there in, in, in Technicolor you know and for real and um, uh, it's it's a great weekend it's just it's a lot of fun I think that's the most important thing as well is that um, everyone there is, for, is there for a, a good reason and uh, you know from the, the, the people who dress up and all the different activities around the circuit to actually what goes on the circuit it's, it's just great fun I mean I, I'm a little bit I love the racing I think the racing is fantastic and it's it's always very exciting I'm a little bit cynical about it sometimes because uh, not all those sports cars and uh, are exactly as they were in period. No, no they're not. Um, but I guess you know that's the nature of racing, isn't it? You know, racing cars never stay the same; they're always developed. Well, there was, and, uh, there's, I, I won't name to say who it was, but there's someone, one of the drivers who won one of the races. Also said, you know, it's, it's great this car's going so well at the moment. Um, it, you know, it's taken a good ten years of development. This is a 1952 car. Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Well, and in point of fact, I mean, there have been there have been accidents in the past when a, some vehicle has been reduced to its component parts and that's when it's become evident those component parts weren't the ones that he was born with carbon fiber wasn't a big thing in 1965 it 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 hadn't really caught on in a big way in 65 i think i mean it's a show isn't it i mean it's a great show it's a thrilling show people love it um yes i mean uh, certainly some of the cars are not maybe as they were shall we say absolutely not anyway we're into the last five minutes now and uh, um, we've had a lot of people um responding to this uh podcast particularly when we were talking to Jody Schechter. And so um, I'm wondering, Ed, if we're going to be, have a, an exciting guest with us next time. I think, I think that's certainly the plan. Um, we haven't quite decided 
uh, to how many more we're going to do, but uh, it's hopefully as many as possible. And I think we'll get a guest sort of maybe every other every other episode to sort of keep it a bit different. And uh, well, well, we'll wait and see. Somebody, somebody on my blog, Nigel, suggested that per- perhaps you could co- come along as Nicky Lauder. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> There, there are many more as well. That's the thing. There are many more. There's Jackie Stewart. The surface here. Of, uh, Maybe you could come as Jackie Stewart, Nigel, and then we could all sort of sit and listen to what you have to say. Well, we could negotiate that, Rob. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, yes. No, Damien can negotiate that. Um, anyway, we, as everybody in the Formula One paddock knows, uh, Nigel has an extraordinary ability for mimicry and. Um, is very funny with it. And uh, who knows, maybe in future podcasts more of this will uh, come to the surface. But for now, thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back in... Uh, um, in soon, how? to be we'll announced be on the website. Yes, we'll be back very, very soon. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Damien is off to do his uh, rally, uh, co-driving Tony Jardine. And... Um, before we go, actually, Damien, we should really just tell everybody what's in the latest magazine to make sure they do go out and buy it. Well, look out for the cover with the uh, rather attractive Brabham BT52, which is the uh, Nelson Piquet's championship-winning car from 83. And um, the issue does represent almost the best and worst of Nelson Piquet, really, because, you know, as we acknowledge in the feature, he was a great driver who was a, a great character, wily racecraft. Um, had a lot going from on the circuit not everyone's cup of tea off it um, as we've seen recently there's lots of other good stuff in the issue um, lunch with Dan Gurney which is a big one for Simon Taylor one of his big, big ambitions to get Dan uh, Nigel's written a great piece with uh, Mario Andretti uh, looking back at the, his uh, roots in the, the dirt car scene uh, there's uh, Ed driving a Aston DB2 which is very nice lucky man um, yeah lots of good stuff so um, uh, we've also got a special promotion with something called Rory the Racing Car, which some of our old readers may not be so aware of. Um, but um, if you've got kids or grandkids, then uh, you will be. And uh, my kids love him. And uh, it's, uh, uh, I think it's, it's something that, that uh, we should all enjoy. From Dan Gurney to Rory the Racing Car. What more, <laughs> what more do you expect for £4.95, honestly? And uh, I think it's a good thing that Rory is in Britain's oldest and finest motor racing magazine. Long, long may it continue. Anyway, look forward to seeing you next time, everybody, and uh, thank you for listening. Motorsport Magazine, for the very best of motor racing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.